Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Crack Rackets. My name's Alex Gruskin. Joining me on this podcast as always, my doubles partner, partner in crime, and the man with the fresh haircut, Maxwell Bauer rothman Maxie, hey, great shot. You know, Terry went a little short today. <laughs> Terry's his name? Terry's my guy. He's he's great. Oh, super sure. gay. Love him. <laughs> uh, gives great haircuts. Super consistent. Unlike you, but... Um, <laughs> what? That's an early... Can me not consistent? You're going to say that? Interesting. As you're putting on an ankle brace, you're trying to make the case that you're a yeah, better kind of player? Yeah, I also have zero idea how this thing works. <laughs> I've never been injured, really, knock on wood, in, in my tennis career, and this thing is a contraption, let me tell you. Well, for sure. Um, Since I have you distracted, uh, we'll save Eubanks for a little bit and give you a warm-up. I don't want you to have Ooh. to talk and put on a brace at the same time. So we're going to start today's podcast with a second round of our favorite new segment, Fligner Q New Sound Effect. It's time for Alex's Trivia. So in order to promote our college tennis series now on CrackedRackets.com, that's a series that's previewing the top 10 men's teams, giving a bunch of the Cracked Rackets team a chance to give our takes, our predictions on how we think each team's going to do this year. I actually have some great college tennis trivia questions for you. Uh, I see you looking at your computer screen and fear you're cheating, but we're going to give it a go anyways. You ready? I'm looking at the questions that you're asking me. <laughs> well, I was going to... They're gonna... all 1995? Well, that's because that's the year I was born, so I figured... That'll be the cutoff. If it's in my memory, I have, you know, I should know it. Fair enough. So we'll start with an easy question. Question number one. Since 1995, eight schools have combined to win 23 NCAA outdoor titles. Jeez. Name the schools. Only eight? Only eight. I know. There have been some dynasties in there. Name the dynasties if you want as well. Yeah, I mean, USC had that Mm four-year. USC has six titles. They lead the way. Um, UVA obviously also has that like four year run. They have four and five years. They're third. Um, there's got to be a UCLA in there. UCLA stole one in the early 2000s. That's it. Yeah, they have won this this century. Jeez, I know they've come close. They lost that final when Puget, you know, his foot hit the net against uh, Virginia. Yeah, but yeah. and so you know they've come close. But so that's three. Um, come on, who are the dominant? Georgia. Georgia's four. Um, there's another obvious one. Think West Coast. Who's the third best West Coast team? The third best? Yeah, UC, USC, UCLA, and it's Stanford. Oh, geez, yeah. You should have known I, that one. Yeah. Stanford even hosts you, it. You, you didn't even let me get to that one. You, you just went straight to give me a We'll clue. cut out the pauses, but listeners know that he was paused for a while. Well, that's because you, you can't just throw info in my face. <laughs> okay, that's four schools. Let me think. Keep guessing. We're trying to make um, this go a little quicker. Wait, that's four. How many? There's eight? Oh, geez. Georgia. Um, there's a, okay, so let me give oh, you... Oh, oh, I know this one. Um, there's definitely... Illinois definitely has one. Illinois has one, so that's six I want to say Wake Forest, but I don't think that's Not right. Not Wake Forest. So two more schools. Um, one's in California, the other in Texas. Oh. The, okay, the only reason I know this one... <laughs> yeah, there it so is. So Pepperdine is one of them. Yeah, I, only, I only remember that. That's the seventh school. Give me the eighth. It's in Texas? It's in Texas. It's Baylor. Wow. Or Benjamin Becker, 2003, I believe. Uh, That's that's an old one. Okay, so that was supposed to be our easy question. Again, those eight. (laughs) So let's move on to our second question. I think this one, actually, this one you may find a little bit easier. Again, since 1995, three players have repeated as NCAA men's singles champions. Name them. 
Two of them. Stevie, for sure. Obviously, that's one. 72-match winning streak. Way to go. One's a Virginia player, the other from Georgia. You're not going to guess the Georgia one. Oh, we've talked about I know. Uh, the Virginia guy. Um, He's Indian. Yeah, Samdev. Samdev Devarman. That's um, two. And Mateus Booker. You weren't going to guess him. Yeah, that's no, three from Georgia. Yeah, yeah he got injured on the Pro Tour, so gotcha. I don't think you're going to guess him. Okay, last one. This is our hardest question. Since 1995... Only two players have won the spring triple crown, bringing home the singles, doubles, and team titles. Name those two players. It sucks that because I, I, Stevie's not one of them. Stevie is not one which of is them. Sad. And neither is Mackie, and he came pretty close. Mackie McDonald, of yeah. course, he won the singles and doubles. Yeah, I honestly, I, I'm not sure. So one of them's Mateus Booker. He has had a really good 01 season. Yeah, so good for shout him. out to him. The other, Bob Ryan. No way. Stanford, 1998. Hey, Bob. Great shot. <laughs> so shout out to those guys. Um, they had excellent college careers, and we just wanted to honor them real quick. We also, again, want to ask you, please go check out our preview series on CrackRackets.com. But with that said, are you ready to start this week's Next Gen Pod? Let's do it. All right, so this week we're talking about our last player born in 1996, Chris Eubanks, 21 years old. Born in Atlanta, Georgia. He now is six foot seven, one hundred eighty pounds. If you follow him on uh, that is light, six seven, one eighty, paper thin. Yeah, I mean you, you can see it on court. Oh, it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely go check out that's you should go check out his Instagram, go check out his Twitter. He's actually pretty funny. Avid fan of Atlanta sports teams, always joking around with the guys uh, on tour, the fellow Americans. Really good follow. Definitely recommend that. So to break down Eubanks game a little bit. You know, we we typically like to go over the articles on the Cracked Rackets website under the Next Gen section. <laughs> a, little, a little hashtag Next Gen right there for the, oh, for the Cracked first Rackets plug. website. <laughs> Gotta do it, you know. Um, so we we set his game style. We labeled him as an aggressive baseliner who likes to move forward. Uh, and we also said his, that his aesthetics on the forehand cannot be prettier. Uh, I have to disagree with that. I think there are way prettier forehands on tour, but we'll we'll leave that for the later sections. Fair enough. Um, so we also have noticed that he likes to be aggressive and run around the backhand, hit forehands. He's got the, the nice one-handed backhand, uh, and he has a, a pretty good slice as well. And obviously he's got a cannon of a serve, uh, really good one-two combo, big uh, serve and forehand combination um and he's got pretty good volleys and that's that's kind of the way that we've uh, seen his game over the last uh you know couple years so we'll start with the forehand then because i actually wrote that portion of the article i happen to think his forehand is rather pretty why do you disagree he's got a big backswing i i see a little bit of a hitch in his elbow is that what you think it is a hitch because yeah. uh, it's i i understand what you're saying to me it seems like he's sort of loading i don't know he gets away with it. he's huge yeah i mean you could look at it as a load i don't know i'm very particular with you know the way the elbow is part of the, the formation and your technique and because uh, i i grew up with a coach who focused my entire forehand around where my elbow is during my swing and it's super important to keep it tight to the body and drive it through and um you know he gets it a little bit far out from the body in my opinion it it's just a little bit too big for me but it is pretty i I will say it's not an ugly forehand and he is always going after it oh no doubt i mean he is a big player we've mentioned this already six foot seven 180 pounds 
I actually think this is a good place to transition into our conversation about his junior career because he is really the most unheralded of our next-gen guys. Not a guy you saw make a deep run really at Kalamazoo. I know he had some success in the back draw, but not really in the front draw. Not a guy who played a lot of ITF events. He has made multiple appearances in the ATP Atlanta event, both at the start of college and obviously these past two years as well. That's a testament you know, to the Atlanta tournament being good and giving wild cards to their local players, which is something we endorse here. But I think his decision to go to college was definitely necessary. I mean, it starts with his body frame. It starts with the fact that at 6'7", 180, he is paper thin. And you mentioned this earlier, he has a cannon of a serve. And I think he moves fairly well, given, again, how much more body development he has left. But that's why he had to go to college, because he was not. he's still far from a finished product. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think if he hadn't been in college, he would have been a totally different player. Uh, definitely, I don't think he would have been as well-developed in all aspects of the game. I think the doubles helped him with his volleys, and um, I, I really think that the coaching helped him, you know, learn to appreciate the the type of game he needs to have with the frame that he has. So, yeah, couldn't agree more. And so, you know, we gave some props to the other guys in the pod so far. So we should list Eubanks' accomplishments in college. He was the fifth player in Georgia Tech history to be named a two-time All-American, the first player in Georgia Tech history and fifth ACC player ever to win the ACC Player of the Year Award twice. He finished fifth all-time in career singles wins at the school and second in single-season wins, having 34 his sophomore year. I also want to pay attention to the guys he beat in college, players like Martin Redlicki, Alex Vukic from Illinois, Petros Chirsokos from Wake Forest, and of course our man Ronnie Schneider from North Carolina. Those are players who have very similar pro aspirations to Eubanks, and playing players like that week in, week out has to be extremely helpful, especially because you see a variety of styles. And with someone like Eubanks, who is trying to impose his will regardless of his opponent, the the ability to play such a diverse set of skills had to have, again, been beneficial for his development. The other thing that I also feel is just totally overlooked in the college game is just the pressure that these guys have. I think there's a very different pressure uh, from being on tour and being able to say, oh, I lost a match, I'll come back. Whereas when you have your whole team with you and kind of this entire uh, university and school to kind of uphold, it's a lot more pressure and a a lot more is riding on these matches. And I think it's good for these guys to to experience that and and kind of get used to the, the high intensity and high pressure moments that they will encounter if they make it far enough in the pros. Look, I'm biased. I love me some ACC tennis, not to, you know, go against Big Ten tennis, which I love as well. Go blue. But I, there's no better place for someone to develop than the ACC, particularly given the success these past three years of Virginia, of UNC. You know, Duke may not be at its best, but it's still a very good school. I'm sure week in, week out, Eubanks was playing excellent players. And you mentioned this earlier, and I'm happy you did, the doubles. For a guy who has a big serve and is trying to learn to serve and volley and make that a fundamental part of his game, to get to do that not only in his singles matches, where I'm sure he also mixed in other plays, but to force himself to do it in all of his doubles matches. At least I hope that's what he was doing. Again, excellent for his development, certainly a great choice. Yeah, I would agree. And and to kind of talk a little bit more about his game, I think one of the things that I love most about his game is his serve and forehand combination. Uh, I think there are a couple guys on tour that really do this well, and I think that he either has watched them or is trying to uh, emulate them, 
and he's doing something right. Um, he's obviously going to get a little more consistent with it as he plays more matches, but if he wants to be successful, that's something he's going to need to master because that's part of his game that uh, has really been the most successful. I completely agree, and I think where he has a step up on some of the other next-gen guys, a match I'll point to actually as an example of that, his first-round matchup at Atlanta this year against Taylor Fritz, that... That's a match Eubanks won, 7-6, 6-4. We both watched the highlights of this match together, and we both noticed Eubanks was making Fritz uncomfortable. And when you force Fritz to move, and you know this isn't the Fritz pod, so we won't dwell on him, but when you force him to move, he's not going to be able to play his Fritz-style tennis and impose his will. He's not going to be able to recover. And whether it was the returns trying to step up and take him early, even with his one-handed backhand, whether it was his own attempts to serve and volley, even though, again, he's not the most comfortable volleyer yet, but he knew he had to get Fritz on the move, I thought he played a really good match. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we've we've said that his volleys, you know, he doesn't seem the most comfortable, but I've seen him put away a lot of good volleys, hit a lot of good low volleys. He has those soft hands that we haven't seen in a lot of these next-gen guys, and that's where I have a lot of confidence in him. I know I've said in uh, past pods that I've got him at the bottom of my list for potential, but I've got to say, you know, I, after watching him a little more, I, I might have to uh, give you a little bit change up in my uh, next-gen potentials list uh, as we get further into this podcast. No, change-ups are good. I like that. One thing I don't like about Eubanks' game, the one-handed backhand. Look, I yeah. am a two-handed backhand snob, and listeners should know that, so I am a bit biased. It's not that Eubanks doesn't have good technique. It's that with his slight frame, even given his height, I'm worried he can be overpowered on that side particularly. And you watched his, I think it was quarterfinal match against Ryan Harrison. That's a match he got blown out of. And look, the game plan was simple. It was attack the Eubanks backhand. Know that, yeah, he's going to hit some big serves. He's going to hit some big forehand. But be patient. Another match we saw that this past week in the second round of the Charlottesville Challenger, even against Michael Moe, who... You know, him and Ryan Harrison, both IMG products, will say Moe's a worse version of Harrison, but Moe had the exact same game plan. He said, just be patient. I know what side to attack. It's on me to execute this game plan, and that's something to worry about. And the other thing that I see with his backhand, and and we've mentioned how, you know, he has better movement than a lot of the taller guys, but when you get him on the move, especially with his backhand, he really doesn't have much of a choice besides hitting a slice. I've noticed when I've watched him hit backhands that his the way he swings it very much is he's getting his power from kind of the the inside and and from the the inner parts of his body and i i feel like if you watch him hit backhands that are got him on the stretch uh he loses that technique and loses that power and ability to really shape the ball the inner parts of his body you mean his core but hey great shot sorry i had to go after the you. inner area whatever, man. <laughs> the inner parts his organs but Deliver. I could, I, <laughs> I completely agree with you. I do have a question. So you say he can't, you know, he can only hit the slice. Isn't that something he can improve, particularly once he fills out his frame, gets his legs stronger? He could have Del Potro type legs. You know, they are that long, and obviously that takes a lot of training. But there's no reason he can't do it. He's only 21. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's part of the reason why I'm starting to think of him maybe a little bit higher in that potentials list uh he, he's just he is he's really scrawny right now and it's hard to imagine what that looks like in all honesty uh but if he could you know develop into a delpo type body he would be a threat on tour so this is a weird question but in terms of body type 
Opelka or Eubanks? Who do you like better in terms of future prospects, just in terms of their physical development? 100% Eubanks. So why is that? So I think that the major difference between the two is purely the movement. Um, obviously, there's a huge difference in their in you know how thick Opelka is versus Eubanks, but the differential and the amount that Eubanks is able to move versus the amount of power that Opelka is able to drive because of the weight he has is huge. I, I still think you could say that Eubanks hits as hard of a serve, as hard as a forehand as Opelka does, and he definitely moves better and can take control of the court just as well. So I think if you want to look at uh, kind of the the pros to Eubanks, he has the same forehand and serve, in my opinion, but has the movement, and that's all the difference. I also think he's a little bit of a better volleyer. I would say Opelka has a far better developed backhand, but again, that's because I like the two-hander over the one-hander. One more match I want to point out, the duty Sela first-round match. That's a match Eubanks lost... 2-6, 4-6, 2-6. We saw Opelka at the Australian Open, and granted, that was a long time ago, but he did take David Goffin to five sets. And, you know, people have bad days. The margins between players are not that big. Sometimes you just have a bad matchup and things like this happen. But that is a really concerning result. If you are losing like that to Duty Sela, you know, he did make the decision to go pro. Uh, Eubanks, I'm talking about, decided to leave Georgia after his junior year this year after the success he had this summer in Atlanta, getting the wild card into the U.S. Open. I am concerned because he has so much physical development to do. When do you have time to do that? And and that is originally why I had him lower on my list. You know, I think there's also a part where he has to develop while gaining experience on tour. I mean, that's tough. That That's really where I think he, he might struggle if he's unable to develop, you know, pretty soon. So then last question before we take a break. If you were Chris Eubanks, would you have left and gone pro or would you have gone back to Georgia Tech for one more year? That's tough. Uh, I think he made the right decision. I do. I, you know, he's grown into this body and I think spending another year trying to develop the game isn't necessarily what he needs I think he needs the experience on he's ready to play with the higher level players I agree and you know all the people at Cracked Rackets are big fans of Chris Eubanks he was one of the first interviews for Dalton on our other Cracked Interviews podcast I'm I'm a big fan of his I certainly hope he has success and I do want to project his future but before we do that we're going to project some fake ads onto you so we'll be right back And now, a new fake ad from our favorite new sponsor, the Next Gen Finals Draw Ceremony. The Next Gen Finals Draw Ceremony. Hey Max, do you like pushing the edge? I push the edge at every ceremony. Do you like Italian models? They are hot. Do you follow the news? Sometimes. (laughs) Did you think it was appropriate? You know, I really do like models. (laughs) I do like tennis players. But come on, man. What's <laughs> up with those teeth and those clothes? JD, man, stick to video games. Welcome back to... Hi, great shot. <laughs> Dude, the Aussie Open's in January. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm a little late. Or a little early, I don't know. Again, we're always trying to expand our audience, so anytime you attempt an accent, I like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to run out of them eventually, though, so <laughs> i have to work on some new ones. For sure. But with that, we're going to start the power rankings portion of the podcast. Every week, we rank these players based on their current ability now, as well as where we see them in the future based on their potential. What do you think, Max? Where does Chris Eubanks rank for you right now? So, 
I mean, we've we've discussed our top eleven in the past couple pods, and when I originally made my list, I had added him towards the end simply because we added him late once he turned pro. Very true. And I feel bad about it. <laughs> so, Chris, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. You don't deserve that. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, you know, I think among these top eleven, I had him at ten. I want to start moving him closer to seven. Um, Closer to seven? Yeah. You know, and I know that's a little wild with his results. And So, real quick, so you say you have him at number seven. We've already done Ruben, Escobedo, and Donaldson. Do you have him above any of them? Yeah, yeah. I have him uh, in front of Ruben. So, the guys that I have right now below him are... Well, am I am I allowed to reveal my list right now? Try not to. No. Ooh, okay. A- well, unless we've already talked about. Them. Well, okay. So I will say then that Ruben is still below Eubanks okay. on, on this list. Uh, I just you know I, I've been watching him a little more, and I, I think he deserves to be a little bit higher than I gave him credit for originally. Well, I'm kind of offended that you're digging on my boy Ruben. You know, we actually just <laughs> interviewed him for Cracked Rackets, and hopefully that'll be up sometime soon. So I am now very much pro Ruben. Still, still shout out to the pride. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think you'll actually have to listen to this interview because it's a lot of fun. We do bring that up amongst other things: his time as a junior, his time, you know, in college, why he made that decision, how he's enjoyed the transition from college to pro. So be on the lookout for that. But back to Chris Eubanks. I actually have him right now at number 11. I also feel bad for that. Again, (laughs) Eubanks was a guy who's been so nice to crack rackets. That doesn't mean I should take it easy on him in the power rankings. I want to be honest with you, the listener, so I would never compromise my rankings. I gave Will Blumberg the bump to number 10 simply because he made the NCAA singles final. You know, he played tie, and yeah, he played two singles all year, but he only lost once, and that NCAA final to me means something. We're we're in the pros now. (laughs) College results are not enough to give him that. That's very true, and look, credit to Eubanks in Atlanta this year. He beats Jared Donaldson. He beats Taylor Fritz, you know, lost a tough one to Ryan Harrison, but those are two next-gen wins, and of course, we should factor those into our rankings, but if you saw him at the U.S. Open, we've already mentioned that duty sailor loss. It was really concerning, and I don't think even Ruben, even Blumberg, I think they'd have performed a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say exactly how they would have performed in that situation. You know, the reason I have him above some of the other guys is, I, you know, he's taken out uh, Fritz and, and Donaldson. And, and yes, you know, some of these results have been concerning, but he has a lot of potential. And, and you know, I guess that is a separate list that we've got going. And, and I have him a little bit higher on that, too. Originally, I had him a little bit lower. Uh, I moved him up to number seven as well on my potentials list. You know, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier. It really is going to depend on the way that he matures, um, grows into his body. The more that he can develop a little bit of strength and more mobility, I think the the more potential he'll have. So I have him at number nine on my list of potential, right above of Ruben, and I won't say who I have him at number 10, but... I agree with you. The physical upside for Eubanks is certainly impressive. It's just really hard to project that this guy will get stronger. You know, once he does, I will be happy to give him credit. And I think we've already mentioned the parts of his game that we're very excited about. Again, the huge serve, the huge forehand, the willingness to come forward, especially for a big player. That's very important. 
But I, some of these next-gen guys are just far more complete players, whether it's the movement, whether it's the athleticism, whether it's even the, you know, the ground strokes as well. I think we've learned 21st century tennis is going to be about the baseline. It's going to be about who can grind the longest, who's going to make that last ball, who's going to be out there you know, willing to play those four-hour matches, embracing the suffering that comes with a long tennis match. And Eubank's style of play will, you know, he will play quick tennis. So physically, if he doesn't develop that ability to grind, it may be okay. But it's something that's concerning. And it's why, again, this isn't to discredit him, but to credit those other players, why we're so high on them is we think they have those characteristics that will allow them to continuously thrive. Yeah, I definitely agree that tennis is moving in a direction where you have to be able to grind from the baseline and your ground strokes do need to be almost perfect to, to be in that top 10. But the other thing that we've been seeing is a rise in taller players. If you look at the top 10 guys in the world right now, I think most of them are over six foot and even higher than that. I, I would say six foot two. Yeah, hey, the six foot barrier. Great shot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, six foot two and taller, which is a change. Yeah, it is. And and look, we've got Opelka out here. We've got him. We've got Isner. We've got Fritz. Fritz. Donaldson. We've got six two. I mean, six two is not huge, but it's tall. Yeah, but I, I mean, we're we're looking at a lot of guys over six four, six five. I mean, these are taller guys making their way into the top. 50, 40, 30, 20 in the world. And, you know, if he can figure out how to utilize his uh, height, that's not overbearing because, you know, he's 6'7". That's not 6'10". It's not 6'5". If he can find a way to bring that height in and get a little bit quicker, he could really be kind of this unicorn in in the tennis world. Interesting. And a little Kristoff. Uh... <laughs> well, I think even more concerning than the 6'7", because that's not even concerning, that's encouraging, is the 180-pound thing. Right. For that, him that to is... be that slender, he'll never reach his potential. You know, Milos Raonic is a guy at 6'6", but probably 215, you know, when it's the Canadian winter, maybe 225. <laughs> Huge serve massive forehand, terrible backhand. And, you know, I think Eubanks has the ability to move better than Rayonich does. Now, can he serve as well as Rayonich? That's another question. But if I was watching film for Eubanks, because, and I know you have a really interesting take on pro comparisons, but for me, the guys whose film I have to be watching is Rayonich and actually another college graduate, Illinois' own and U.S. Open finalist, Kevin Anderson. Yeah, I think... You know, kind of how I was just saying, he's somewhat of a unicorn. There aren't that many guys who are of his stature on tour. We've got guys who are much taller than him, who are in the six ten to seven foot range, and we've got a lot of guys who are in the six four to six six range. But he is this interesting blend of so a, slender. It's like Durant. Yeah, it, seriously, <laughs> he's he's like a Durant out there. And so I actually don't have a pro comparison for him. I don't think there's like any pro player out there right now who has the same type of game that he has. I think that he really has the ability to kind of transform the way that a guy of his stature plays on tour. He can utilize that serve and serve like the big guys. He can utilize that forehand like the big guys have. But I think he also has the athleticism to move a little bit better than some of the bigger guys, almost as well as some of these guys who are in the 6'3 to 6'4 range. I think that's really where he's so unique. The reason I mentioned Kevin Anderson, you know, I was just looking this up. Kevin Anderson, they have him on the ATP Tour website, six foot eight, two hundred five pounds. Two hundred five pounds is not an unobtainable goal for Chris Eubanks. Twenty five pounds? That's that's very doable. And we're not asking him to gain this by the end of twenty eighteen. We're asking him, you know, when he's twenty six, twenty seven, the time these players reach their physical primes. 
to be developed to that point. I think Kevin Anderson's a great player to watch, someone who took his time to get physically developed, someone who is a better mover for someone who's that tall and isn't the best volleyer and thus can play a baseline game. You know, again, we'll keep coming back to it. The Eubanks one-handed backhand will continue to be the question. When that becomes a consistent stroke, similar to the Kevin Anderson two-hander, then maybe he can become that type of threat. Until that point, I don't know. It it will be interesting to see where his ranking goes. I know he's already top 300 now, but what do you think? Do you think he's going to crack that top 150 maybe crack that top 100 in the next five years? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Five years, for sure. I I really think that if he can, as you said, figure out that backhand a little bit, develop the game, gain a little mass in in his frame, uh, I could see him being in the top 100 in the next two years. I think the thing that's really going to you know, set him apart and, you know, maybe give him the ability to break that top 50 is if he can figure out how to really utilize the net. He's still a little hesitant at times to to come in. And if you ever watch him play, he's stepping in in front of that baseline on most of these big forehands. He's inside the court. If he can convince himself and get that confidence to come into the net, he's going to be a real threat. One last point and actually a question for you, and then we'll move on to the changeover chat. But I agree with you. Again, watching that Michael Moe match, it was really concerning to see how Moe, who a tremendous athlete on the court, but really doesn't do anything to hurt his opponent. He's incredibly consistent. Will continue to be, you know, he'll get to every ball. He'll have an opportunity to hit a passing shot always. He took his time. He waited, you know, Eubanks got hot occasionally, but in the end, Mo played the steadier game. And until Chris can, at the very least, protect his serve, you know, 95% of the time, become the type of server that someone his height really needs to be. And, you know, that's not saying he's not, but he certainly has room for improvement. My question for you, Chris Eubanks cracks the top 100 first or ESPN buys Cracked Rackets first? Well, I'm going to hope that ESPN buys <laughs> Cracked Rackets first. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think that... Uh, Both happened before 2020. Oh, for sure. That's, that's <laughs> a no question. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think that Chris could uh, could really be successful. I, I, I also agree that, you know, being able to really take control of his serve, I, I've seen a couple matches where there are a lot of break point opportunities on his serve, and, and with a guy of that height and a serve as good as he has, he, he really just can't let that happen. But... And with that said, before we get into our changeover chat, we're going to come back to you with one more fake advertisement. Stick around. And now, our first real advertisement from CrackedRackets.com. CrackedRackets.com. Hey, Max, do you like above-average tennis commentary? Alex, I can't say I really do. (laughs) Yeah, I know you haven't read any of the Cracked Racket articles. And you know what? It's probably because it's all... (laughs) Well, if you want to give it a chance, uh, please go check out CrackedRackets.com. Cracked Rackets, is it in you? Welcome back to... Bonjour. Excellent shot. Oh, God. <laughs> I apologize to all French people out there if you're yeah. offended by that accent. <laughs> we might have to cut that. <laughs> it was my best attempt. I will oh, continue geez. to work on it. But it's time for everyone's favorite segment of the show. It's time for this week's Cue the Drum Roll, please. The changeover chat. The changeover chat. So this week's changeover chat is a very special one. 
It's actually our 10th podcast whoop, we've whoop. ever recorded. Yeah. So shout out to you, Max Fliegner, wherever you are. And Max Rothman, thank you for being on this ride with me. So we're going to have a very fun conversation. We're going to talk about the worst we've ever been hooked and the worst we've ever hooked someone. I'll let you start off. Go with the worst you've ever hooked someone first. Okay. So (laughs) I don't like to think that I ever purposefully hooked someone. You're lying right off the bat. (laughs) I've seen you do it. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, do you want to tell the story of of me? Okay. So in my defense, I was hooked first. Okay. We were hooked first. So... This was at a club tennis nationals. And keep in mind, club tennis, there are no real stakes. Of course, everyone's playing to win, but we had already lost our main draw match. And at that point, you can't win the tournament. So, you know, we were all playing for fun. It should have been shits and giggles. We should have been, you know, getting ready to booze afterwards. (laughs) Two all. No, no, no. Sorry. (laughs) One, one in the first set. They're serving. We go up. 40 love. You know, Max and I, sometimes we get hot. We hit good shots. Yeah. First one, Max misses a return. No surprise. I mean, love 40. You expect him to yeah, go, go for it all. <laughs> exactly. Next point, I make my return low. They hit a nice shot to Max, which he then sets up, you know, gets it back to them. They hit a floater, puts a volley on the line. Kid calls it out. Okay, fine. We have another chance. 30 40. Same thing. Max puts in a return. Sets a, The guy hits a really short first volley to me. I put another one on the line. Same kid calls it out right away. So now we're starting to get a little testy. Next one, you know, we play a longer point and it's a deuce point and we play no ad scoring. And it's a back and forth exchange. Max gets a forehand approach shot. Hits it perfectly on the ad double sideline. And I mean perfectly. Might have even been inside the line. One of the best forehands I've seen him hit. Third point in a row, kid calls it out. Whatever. We're furious, but doesn't really matter because we had already lost. I may or may not have approached the net in, <laughs> in a lot of anger. But so, Max Rothman, you know, I'm laid back. I'm like, whatever. Very next point, Rothman hits a serve. The kid who had been hooking us hits the return. The ball is about to bounce in between <laughs> the service line and baseline. Max Rothman catches it in the air, goes out, and goes to start serving his next point. <laughs> Okay, yes, that that is exactly how it happened, and I don't regret it at all. I I think he had to know that was coming, though. Like, I think he... (laughs) Well, it's just like, okay, three shots before, one mine might have been out, might have been. Both of mine... Were in. (laughs) Were so in. The forehand was inside of the line. That was just embarrassing. But the reason I'm saying the worst you've ever hoped someone is you literally caught the ball. Yeah, it it was pretty funny, though, seeing their reaction when I <laughs> caught it and then just, like, lined up to start serving again. Me and the other partner were bystanders. We were just like, what, what, what do we do? <laughs> do we just, should we leave? We just keep playing. That's it. Yeah, so we left and we let them play singles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, was, that was a good time. Um, I guess another time where, so this this wasn't really a hook or get hooked story, so... I was playing Riley Smith, uh, son of Peter Smith, the USC men's coach, <laughs> back in, I think, I want to say it was the 12s or the 14s. I'm, I'm struggling to remember when exactly, but we were playing and, you know, he had made some questionable calls and I was upset and we were in a third set tiebreaker. Uh, it was three all and he <laughs> he hit a ball 
uh, a nice forehand in the back left corner, and <laughs> it was out. And and I called it out, and his parents ha- were uh, happened to have been sitting right behind me. And as I'm going to retrieve the ball, I I heard the mother say some choice in- words. Tr- that's a good Would way. Would we have quacked out what she was saying? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, and I, she said these things to me, and, and I was a, you know, a 12, 13-year-old playing in a junior <laughs> tournament, who, <laughs> getting accused of cheating by a mom. Give me the worst sentence she said, and we'll quack out when we need to. It was along the lines of, oh my god, you are such a f***ing cheater, get <laughs> off the court. And... <laughs> The next thing I saw was Peter covering her mouth and taking her away from the fence. Um, still one of the most like vivid memories I have of, of my junior career. It was, it was pretty funny. I actually did end up winning the match, too, which was a great victory for was me. Was it Riley or Tanner? It was Riley. Uh, it means less. Just kidding. Just Riley's kidding. better than Tanner, so. Maybe. Although I have lost to Tanner, too, which sucks. <laughs> Well, so my story actually also involves a current college tennis player. I was playing the 2013 Midwest Closed. First round, I drew... Another reference to the Midwest Closed. <laughs> well, first round, I drew a kid who was white hot that summer who had only lost one match. I think it was the Easter Bowl final. And that was John McNally. And so he was the seed. And, you know, he's a couple years younger than me. I think he was 15 at the time, whatever, but still heavily favored. Being the underdog, it was obviously I went out there knowing I was probably not going to win the match, but I was going to try my best to be competitive. First set, I get bageled. So, you know, I'm down 6-0. At that point, I'm thinking, whatever, I'm just going to go for my shots, have fun. First game of the second set, your boy gets a hold. Ooh. Of course, McNally holds, one all. Next game, 40-30 me. I hit my best out wide serve for an ace. And I'm talking, you know I don't hit many aces. I am 100% sure that one was an ace. <laughs> <laughs> if he was convinced that it was an ace, let me tell you. It, it was, was slow it was... enough. You could see where it landed. And, you know, McNally, he's a top player. He's used to hooking. He goes, out. And so I go, dude, what? Because, you know, I'd already gave him the fist pump. Yeah, I was like, you're my friends. Never, yeah, I was you like, never hit out wide aces. That's what I'm saying, so. two on me. I'm like, let's go. And, of course, no, McNally goes, sorry, no, no, it was out. I was like, dude, you are up 6-0-1-1. You have lost once this summer. I'm not winning this match. Are you sure it was out? <laughs> you actually I see a parent start laughing next to the fence because they heard that exchange. But McNally goes, yeah, 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 it was out. And I was just like, all right, whatever. Double the next two points. Lose no. the game. Lose 0-1. I have yet to recover from this incident. You know, I know John... Ma- all your insecurities <laughs> All of them. All of them. And so I know McNally's <laughs> going on Dalton's podcast. If you haven't heard that again, go check out the Cracked Interviews. But if he, you know, wants to apologize or come on the show and <laughs> clarify the incident, I would be happy to debate it with him. I'm sure you would. <laughs> But so, okay, one more thing before we get into our tennis myth segment, a quick update on the Australian Open wildcard standings. You know, we're recording this before the Knoxville Challenger finishes, but going into the Knoxville Challenger, you have Tim Smichek in first place coming off of the Charlottesville Challenger title, Tennis Sandgren in second, he lost in that final, and Stefan Kozlov and Michael Moe tied for third after they both reached the semifinal. Again, the wildcard goes to the player who accumulates the most points in two tournaments out of a three-week span. So, you know, we'll continue to monitor that and talk about that on future podcasts. But with that said, let's start our tennis myth segment. So 
My first question to you, Rothman. Caroline Wozniacki, congratulations to her. She just got engaged to David Lee. More successful tennis player. The McElroy-Wozniacki combination (laughs) or the David Lee-Wozniacki combination. Keep in mind, Wozniacki has already won a World Tour final. I was going to say, she just won a World Tour final. That's true. Took out a Williams sister. That's impressive. Um, You know, I I don't even know how long... She's been with David Lee. Is that been a good for both of them? It's a win-win. I like that couple. Yeah, I'm all a, in. That's on a them. good couple. Celebrity Although, couples. Their kid, hell of a tennis player. The you, next Riley Opelka. See, the thing is, <laughs> I think that kid would have been a better player with with Rory. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of skills that translate between golf and tennis. You that's know? true, but David Lee has size, and so he, he could does. have Wozniacki's coordination with David Lee's size. That's an interesting. Hey, maybe we get another six-five plus player out Next there. Next gen American future series: <laughs> the Lee Wozniacki child. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think uh, I'd say recent Wozniacki. She had some good wins with Rory. It's a win. Look, that's tough. Congratulations to them, though. That's an awesome couple. You have a myth for me. I do, I do. So, <laughs> this one's going to get a little personal here. Oh, God. Tennis myth, if you and I were both to have made the pros, <laughs> who's going farther? <laughs> this is going to be the most biased question okay. ever asked. Well, if I was to rank us in the next-gen series... Yeah. I would definitely be the higher current player, but you might have the higher potential. People would fall in love with the serve and the forehand, but you're a dumb (laughs) on court. Your shot selection is terrible. Yeah, you're pretty quick, but you're also incredibly lazy with your shot choice. You just have to grind you down, and eventually you'll be fine. When I'm in my prime and the backhand down the line is working, I'm opening up the court. I'm making forehands, hitting volleys, thrilling everyone with kick serves and on-the-rise returns. Oh, they'd fall in love with my upside. They'd say at the very least I'm a future top 10 doubles player. The Jack Sock, if one might say. You see, everyone, he's saying this after I beat him 6-2. Oh, my God, your first victory ever. And he fails to recognize that I not only beat him 6-2, but I handled him in that set. It was smart shot choice. Smart shot choice. History. Good, good serving. Good backhands. Oh my god! Put the Oberon down. You are low. I do think if you put the two of us together, I think that if we had, you know, really committed ourselves from the time we were, you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen together. We're a top 10 doubles team. Oh, for sure. I mean, my example would be Daniel Nestor. He's not that good of an athlete. And, like, I would be the Nestor. And Leander you... Paez? Come on. <laughs> no, he, he is a sneaky, quick athlete. No, he is. But you're telling me you and I couldn't take him down? <laughs> I would say, uh, I'm trying. We would, we're we... so full of ourselves. I know. We suck <laughs> Daniel <tennis>. Nestor, Leander <laughs> Paez. <laughs> Fliegner right now is going to be screaming. He's like, you guys suck. I think everyone's going to be <laughs> screaming slash laughing at us. My next comparison, I'm NCAA champion Andrew Harrison, Spencer Papa. That's me and you. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> but no, my career definitely goes further than you. Uh-huh. But I say we end it there. Uh, we want to thank all of you listeners again for listening. And please go check out the Chris Eubanks article, which you can find on CrackedRackets.com. Again, go check out the Cracked interviews. We have one of Eubanks as well as one with many other players. I particularly enjoyed the recent conversation with Deaton Bauman. 
Go check out the Tennis Tribune. Go check out the belt. But with that, Max Rothman, thank you again for joining me as always. Of course. It's, you know, always a pleasure talking about tennis with you. And and definitely go check out these articles. Alex spends a gross amount of time (laughs) putting thought in and looking up stats and and doing all that. So uh, give him a little bit of love on these these articles. I know he'd appreciate it. Absolutely. And please comment. We want to talk with you. If we could do someday a mailbag edition where we're getting questions from our listeners, we would love to. So please feel free to contribute. This is a collective pod. You know, we're trying to spread the love of the game. That's the whole point of this. But again, Max Rothman, thank you. We'll end it here. For Alex Gruskin, Max Rothman, super producer Max Fliegner, who has a hell of a job to do as always, we say to you, hey, great shoot. (laughs) I will see you guys next week. Great shot production. production.